had some tests last week, uh, the PET scan, and uh, to follow up with um, what's going on with me medically. And so I wanted to tell you a, a couple things. Um, I had my PET scan last week, and I, I do have a suspicious spot on my lung, on my right lung. It's on the lower right lobe. Um, the doctors are going to treat this as cancer until it's proven otherwise. So I have a, a meeting with a surgeon this coming Tuesday morning, and that will determine what's next for me. But it's inevitable that I'll be back on the operating table uh, sometime pretty soon. Um, this, of course, is not um, easy. This is hard news for, for us as a family. Um, I'm very thankful that the three-month surveillance stuff has worked. That's what's supposed to happen. By me having the scans and tests and blood work every three months, uh, this is what it's supposed to do, identify something that could be problematic. So I'm certainly thankful for that. I'm thankful for the doctors that have been uh, helping me and caring for me. Um, uh, if you'd like to pray, I, I certainly would appreciate your prayers. Um, I'll give you another update next week, Lord willing, on uh, what timeline is looking like for me in terms of surgery and whatnot. Um, there are positive things in my favor medically, which I, I, I know I can't go through all those right now, but, um, you know, I want to reiterate the doctors are treating this as if it is cancer until proven otherwise. Um, they, really, they really don't want to say it's cancer until they can look at it under a microscope. And so um, I want to be very clear. I don't know for sure yet, but it seems very, very probable that, that it is. So I want you to know that. I want you to be praying for me. You can pray that, that all this that I'm going through will have its complete work. We looked at that together in James, um, that this trial would have its perfect, maturing, God-glorifying, Christ-centered, uh, Spirit-empowered work in my life. Um, that I would learn greater dependence on him and that I would learn that, that I am not my own, but I do belong to Jesus both in my life and in death. So if you would pray into any of those ends, I certainly would appreciate that. Um, uh, if you have other questions, you're welcome to come up afterwards and ask. Um, there's plenty more to say, but, um, but that's the, the kernel of it. So thank you for caring. Thank you for your texts and calls this week. I'm sorry that I didn't respond to all of you. Um, I, I can only say something so many times, and that is not a slam on any of you at all. I just want you to know I'm human, and I can't, I can't possibly do everything I need to do. So I apologize for that to a certain extent, and also I'm doing what I can. So I'm not going to give up. just want you to know that. I'm not quitting. I'm going to stay in there and hang in there, and so um, I need to stop. Let's we need to go someplace. That's the Bible. We need to get to the gospel today. So let's look at Romans 13. Sound good? All right. Let's look at Romans 13. I'm a good grief. This may be one of those days. Let's look at Genesis 13. Listen to this. I'm going to read you this entire chapter. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. 
And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abraham said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. They separated from each other. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of this land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you that we get another opportunity to learn more about your world, to learn more about our lives, to learn more about the good news of Jesus. So we ask that you would help us to understand this passage. Spirit, work in us so that we understand what is here, what these words mean, and how they get us to Jesus. And Lord, we pray that you'd be glorified in all of us. Challenge us, correct us, instruct us. Do whatever you need to do so that we might be equipped to serve you this week, so that we might live by faith. For we pray in the name of Jesus, amen. Remember, in setting up this series, there are two questions I want you to have in your mind. The first question is, what is faith? What is my faith? I want you to be thinking about that every single week as we go through this story of Abraham. And secondly, not only what is your faith and what is your faith, what is faith to me, but also who is God for me? I want you to be thinking about both of those questions. Does those sound familiar from last week? All right. Number two, by way of setup, just to get this in your mind and in your heart more and more. When we come to Jesus, we often feel like we have given him everything. But the reality is, we've actually only given him about 1%. And the rest of our lives, he's after the other 99. That's what's happening with Abraham. That's what's happening with us in our walk with God. God is pursuing our hearts. And he is pursuing the part that we haven't given him. He's after all that we are. And third and finally, remember the mantra that we had last week? Here goes. If you want to understand the life of Abraham, if you want to understand Genesis 12 through 25, if you want to understand what it means to live by faith and what it means to make daily decisions, here you go. Letting go. Leaving behind. Traveling light. 
letting go, leaving behind, and traveling light. Hope that you'll see all of that as we go through this Abraham story together. So this morning we're going to look at the story that I read to you in chapter 13. And then we're going to look at takeaways. And I've got three takeaways for you today. Everybody clear? Got it? We're going to look at the story and then takeaways. And I've got three for you. We good? All right. Let's jump in. So we left off the story last week with Abraham going into Egypt because there was a famine in the land where he was. So he didn't have any food, didn't know what to do, so he just went into Egypt to wait. And as he was arriving in Egypt, guess what he discovered? By the way, this is at the end of chapter 12. You want to go back and read it. As he's going into Egypt, he recognizes and realizes that Pharaoh has an eye for Abraham's wife, Sarah. He can tell that Pharaoh would be after Sarah because she is drop-dead gorgeous. She is spectacularly beautiful. So guess what Abraham does? He looks at Sarah and he says, you know what? Pharaoh's going to come after you, so I want you to tell Pharaoh that you are my sister. You know why Abraham said that? Because he didn't want to die. I'll throw you under the bus because if you're my wife and Pharaoh finds that out, guess what he's going to do? He's going to take the husband out and take you. So in order to protect myself, Sarah, I want you to lie because that way I'll stay alive. So, God says, I'm going to do all these things for you, Abraham. And what does Abraham do? Lies. First thing we have in the story of Abraham after God gives him all these promises is Abraham just starts lying. He starts thinking that he can figure out how to manage this situation better than God can. So, Sarah lies and ends up in Pharaoh's harem. She's living with Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh is blessing Abraham financially, giving him livestock, giving him gold, giving him silver, over and over and over, prospering Abraham, prospering Abraham. But then the time comes when Pharaoh's house gets sick. There's some type of plague. And guess what happens? Pharaoh figures out, huh, this didn't start until Sarah came into my house. So he did a little investigation, and guess what he found out? They were married. Abraham and Sarah were married. And so he goes to Abraham and he says, what are you doing to me? Abraham, you lied. You had Sarah lie. And now she's in my house, and now I got a plague in my house. Abraham, what are you doing to me? Are you trying to take my life? So he tells Abraham and Sarah, and Lot, and their families. Get out. Get out of here. Get out of Egypt. Quick sidebar. He didn't kill Abraham, and he didn't take back all the things that he had given him. How about that? Abraham was terrified something was going to happen. It never did. Anyone ever expect that something bad is going to happen, and then that thing never happens? I bet that happens to you a lot. So Abraham and Lot and all their families and all their livestock leave out of Egypt. And they start heading somewhere else. But they figure out that they can't live together. You know why? They're too rich. They have so much livestock that the herdsmen, did you catch it in the text that we read, start fighting. The herdsmen from Abram 
and, and Lot's herdsmen, they, they can't get along. So they start fighting because there's not enough space for them to live together and feed everything that they have and take care of everything that they have. And Abram comes to Lot and he says, look, we're family. We got to figure out a way to work this out. And, and we got to separate, but not so much that we're so far apart that we can't help each other. Look at the end of verse 6 or 7. I can't remember, but you have the, the, the Perizzites and the Canaanites, someone else in there. Did you notice that? It, it's telling you that there was a threat in the land. In other words, when Abraham goes to Lot and says, Lot, we got to figure this out because we're family and we can't completely separate. Why? Because there's a threat. And if that threat comes after me, then I need you to be there. And if the threat comes after you, then I'm going to be there. we got to do this together. So Abram says, okay, Lot, you choose. If you go this way, I'll go that way. If you go that way, I'll go this way. That's the story of this chapter. Make sense? Follow that? Did you get that? Well, let's get to our takeaways. What in the world is this talking about? If that's the story, what relevance is this for my life? What does this mean? Well, Here's takeaway number one. What are you chasing? What are you chasing? Because oftentimes our decisions indicate what we're chasing. Think about what's going on with Abraham and Lot and their decisions and the decisions they make and how that reveals what they're chasing. But really, it's meant to be pressed upon us. What are you after with your life? What am I after with my life? What am I chasing? Because we're always chasing something. So let's dig a little deeper into this story. So here's what's going on. Abraham and Lot got to figure this out. And here's what's at stake. Survival, relationship, and God's promises. Whether or not we're going to live by them or not. That's what's at stake. Abraham and Lot need to stay relationally close. So whatever decision they make is going to affect their relationship. They need to survive. They got all this cattle. They got all this livestock. They got all this stuff. And they've got to find a way to feed everything. They need to survive. And God's promises, whatever decision they make will show whether or not they are going to live by God's promises or not. So here are some options. Remember, trying to navigate those three things. Here are some options for Abraham and Lot. Here's the first option. Abraham says to Lot, you know what? Let's just keep going. Let's just go somewhere else. Let's get out of Egypt. Let's bypass Canaan. And let's just go somewhere else. That's one option. But what that would mean would be this. They probably would stay reasonably wealthy. Their relationship would be intact. But they would not be living by God's promises, would they? Which is a problem. Here's another option. We'll call this the normal option. Abraham, in the position that he is, being much older than Lot, Abraham could say, I am going to choose what I want. And then Lot, you get the leftovers. So Abraham could say, I'm going to make the choice. But what could end up happening with that is, his relationship with Lot wouldn't be that good. He may or may not follow God's promises, but he probably would stay wealthy. He probably would stay financially secure because he's the one that would get to pick first. And he's the one that would pick something that would fit what he was looking for. That was the second option. 
Here's a third one. Here's what he actually did. Abraham went to Lot and said, you choose. And what did Lot do? Well, by Abraham going to Lot and doing that, Abraham was disadvantaging himself. But he knew that if he did that, he could potentially keep his relationship with Lot. He could potentially continue to follow God's promises. And he hopes that he would be able to stay financially alive. He could survive. Well, you notice what the text says about what Lot decided? Lot looked out over the whole land, and what did he see? Well, here to the east, this area is flush. This area is so fertile. This area over here is where I can thrive. And if you look in verse 10, it even says something like, it reminds me of the garden of the Lord. Do you notice that little phrase? Lot has heard stories about Eden. Lot has heard stories about how amazing the garden was that no one can go back anymore because there's a flaming sword to keep people out. Lot looked at the land over here and he said, you know what, this land over here is great. I can make it financially. I can thrive over here. And oh, by the way, I can have all the things that God provided without having God. So I want to go this way, outside of Canaan. I don't want to live by the promises that God made. I want to, I want to be prosperous. I want to make sure that I'm making a financial responsible decision. So I'm going to go where I can continue to gain wealth. That's what Lot decided. What Abraham decide? He decided that he was going to go to Canaan, which at that time was a super desolate place. Wasn't much there at all. But he was able to maintain his relationship with Lot. He was able to follow the promises of God. But it was a slow financial death, humanly speaking. Because to go to the land where there wasn't a lot of water, to go to the land where there wasn't much development, that meant all of his livestock were going to suffer. It meant that all of his wealth would be slowly drained over time. Unless something happened, humanly speaking, his decision to follow God's promises was not a great decision, financially speaking. That all brings us to this. What are you chasing? What are you chasing? In your own life, do you feel the tension of your responsibilities at work? The responsibilities with your family, the responsibilities to provide financially for your family, do you feel that tension? Do you ever think to yourself, you know what, if I work really hard, we can have all these resources, but my relationship with my family is going to suffer. You ever feel that tension? You ever feel the tension of, I really need to spend time with my family, but if I do that, I can't advance as far in my career. Feel that tension? How about the pull of the financial increase? Do you ever feel that tension? Well, I know that if I do this job and I know if I do that, it, it, it will be better for us financially. Do you feel the weight of all of that? Because it's real. Trying to navigate the tension of our responsibilities and our livelihood and what God says is real. It's real. 
That's part of living by faith. It's trying to navigate all of those complicated life decisions that aren't easy. Especially when we just see things from a human perspective. You know what I mean? Same with Abraham. Well, what are you chasing? Let's press this even further. Can you take a loss? If it comes down to it, are you willing to take a financial loss for the good of your family? For the good of following the Lord? Can you do that? Are you willing to inconvenience yourself so that someone else might have an advantage? Are you willing to stoop down lower and humble yourself so that someone else might go first? Are you willing to be uncomfortable yourself so that someone else might find comfort? Are you willing to take a hit? Are you willing to humble yourself not knowing ultimately what, it, what the outcome is going to be. Does it ever enter your mind to be open to the idea of putting yourself in a disadvantaged situation so that someone else can have an advantage? You ever think about things in that way? And what about prosperity? Here we see Abraham. Here we see Lot. We're prosperous. It's always a test. Prosperity is one of the most difficult challenges that we can face on this earth. Prosperity. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. There's nothing wrong with being fundamentally, financially secure, even for generations. There's nothing wrong with prosperity. God loves rich people too. But here's the question. This is the challenge. The challenge is, what do you do when you become prosperous financially? What will you do when you become financially prosperous? What have you done when you have become financially secure? What have you done? What would you do? What have you done? You save it all for yourself? You spend it all on yourself? What's your instinct? To give or to keep or to save or to spend it all on self? That's the challenge of prosperity. The challenge of, pro of prosperity is that it reveals what's actually going on in our hearts. Are we becoming more generous? Are we clinging to our financial means more and more and more as our security, as our hope, as our status? Abraham and Lot were incredibly rich. What were they going to do with it? That brings us to the second takeaway. The first one is, what are you chasing? What are you after in your life? The second is this. Facing your shortcomings. Facing your shortcomings. 
You know, when you read back through the text, you'll find that it, the text actually says that Abraham goes back to where he started. Did you notice that in the text? He went back to Bethel. He went back to this place between Bethel and Ai. He went back there to where he started. You know why it's telling us that? Because Abraham is retracing his steps. He's going back to the place that he was, that we read about last week, when he worshiped God and then decided to go his own way. He's retracing his steps. I'll make it more plain. He's repenting. Remember, the Old Testament is a stage on which all the New Testament doctrines are played out. The Old Testament shows you like you're watching theater all of the doctrine that we get in the New Testament. It's just laid out for you, dramatized, played out, so you can see it in action. Abraham was retracing his steps. He was repenting. He was going back to the places that he met with God and he worshiped God and he heard God's promises and then he went his own way. And he's going back because he's acknowledging that I was wrong here where I met you, God, and where you were kind to me and where you blessed me. It was here that I received your blessing and I decided I want to do something different. Like I wanted to go to Egypt. He is repenting. Beloved, that means that can we face our shortcomings? Are you able to retrace your steps? Are you able to go back to review what has happened in your life, even this past week? Are you able to review and say, oh, I blew it here. I blew it over there. I messed up here. Can you do that? Will you retrace your steps? Will you repent? Can, can you admit that you're wrong? Can you admit that you've fallen short of what God says? Can you, can you verbalize that? Can you say it? You see, here's a real test in our lives. When you know that you have done something wrong, do you immediately run to Christ? Or do you run away? When something isn't going like you want, when something happens in your life that you weren't expecting, when something shocks you, are you running away from worship? Or are you running to it? Are you running away from Jesus? Or are you running to him? You see, our sins and shortcomings and rebellion, those are the very things that qualify us for Jesus. It's not our goodness that qualifies us for Christ. It's our shortcomings and our rebellions and our sins. So if you recognize that there's sin going on in your life, rebellion going on in your life, that's the very moment when you go to Jesus. It's not that you try to behave better to cover it up. Those very moments where you know you've done wrong are the very moments in which you can experience the grace of God and forgiveness and you can get that load off your back, that load of shame and guilt. Abraham retraced his steps. He went back to repent. Can you repent in your life? Can you admit you're wrong? And, and when you know you're wrong, what's your instinct? Run away from worship? Run away from the church? 
run away from God or run to him? See, that's the very thing that reminds us that our relationship with God is based upon grace. If when you sin or rebel and that leads you to run away from God, your heart is operating as if your relationship with God is based on your performance. That your relationship with God is based upon the quality and the consistency of your commitment. Therefore, when you realize that you're inconsistent and you realize that the quality isn't there, if you run away, you're saying, my relationship with God isn't based on grace. It's based on what I do. And friends, that's not the gospel at all. The message of Jesus is that we come to him. We come to him in our need. Are you willing to face your shortcomings? And even in repenting, are you learning to let go? Leave behind? Travel light? Let me ask it this way. Can you receive forgiveness? Can you receive it? If God gives you forgiveness, can you receive it? Can you say, I need forgiveness here, right here, and know that he'll give it to you, that he has? Our culture is eat up with performance and the facade and the fakeness, and the grace of God strips all that away and says, come to me. Are you weary? Are you burdened? Come to Jesus over and over and over. That leads us to the third takeaway. Grace. Yeah, we've mentioned it, but we need to go deeper into it. Because this story is unbelievably saturated and marinated in grace. And by that, what I'm saying is that this story is about God. It's not about Abraham. This whole 12 through 25 of Genesis is about God. It's about God pursuing. It's about God claiming. It's about God acting. Notice how when you go back and read the verses, that the promises that God made to Abraham, those promises that Abraham heard and worshiped and then made a bad decision to do his own thing, God comes back to Abraham now and says to Abraham, hey, Abraham, what do you see? Do you notice that in the verses? Look out, Abraham, what do you see? God reiterates the promises to Abraham, but expands them. He's already told me he's going to give him a land, but now he tells him he's going to give it not only to his descendants, but to him. He already told him that he was going to bless other peoples, but now he tells him in chapter 13 that he is going to be blessed to such an extent that if you could number the grains of sand, you would know how much you're going to be blessed. God comes back to Abraham and continues to reiterate his promises and continues to expand them right in Abraham's face and right in his life. And oh, by the way, Abraham didn't even have a son. How is he going to have more people? He didn't even have a son yet. And God's already promising him that he's going to do something way beyond what he originally told him. 
And not only that, but Abraham never saw the promised land. He didn't actually own it and live there. In its fullest sense, he didn't get it. How in the world do we make sense of all this? Well, there's this book in the New Testament called Hebrews. And let me tell you what Hebrews tells us about this very story and this very guy, Abraham, and this very relationship between Abraham and God. It says in chapter 11 that Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. That Abraham was not anticipating a little strip of land in the Middle East. Abraham was not hoping that for himself or for his descendants. Do you hear that? Abraham was hoping for the kingdom of God. He was looking forward to the city who do, that doesn't have foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He was hoping for the kingdom of God to come throughout the whole earth. Abraham was looking forward to the day when the glory of God will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Listen to this from Hebrews 11. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Abraham knew what God has promised, and he was a long way away from him. And the fulfillment of that promise that he was long away from, he saw it from a distance and greeted it. Hey, I know you're coming. I know that what you said, God, is real. Do you know why? Because there was another time in history in which one of Abraham's descendants was asked, look out and what do you see? That was the time when Satan took Jesus up to the pinnacle and said, what, what do you see, Jesus? Do you see all these kingdoms? I'll give them all to you if you just bow the knee to me. You remember that? Jesus, I'll give you a shortcut to all the kingdoms of the earth. Jesus, I'll give you a shortcut to everything in history. No cross, no suffering, you don't have to follow God's plan. I'll give you everything if you just bow down to me. Jesus, I'm offering you a bloodless path to glory. Isn't that what we all want? We all want glory without any pain, any suffering. And I'll tell you as I stand before you here today, that's me. I don't want to be going through what I'm going through. But there is no bloodless path to glory. There is no path to glory without suffering. Abraham understood and continued to understand that the coming Messiah was going to affect every single promise that God had made. And the grace of God that brought Abraham into relationship with him one day became human, and his name was Jesus. And you know what he was learning? He was learning how to let go and leave behind and travel light 
He was learning to go to the cross for people like you and me. He was learning to lay down his life and disadvantage himself so that people like you and me could be advantaged and blessed and given life eternal. He not only laid down his life, but he had power to take it up again so that he could give us new life, enjoying the promises of God, knowing that one day all things are going to be made new. The day in which we get to rejoice with Abraham and Sarah and David and all the others in which the kingdom is fulfilled. And beloved, that is exactly what brings us to the table.